Hello guys and welcome, welcome to, to Happy, Happy Single, Single Mums. Are you really just going to copy everything I'm saying? Yes! <laughs> Hello guys and welcome to Happy Single Mums, a podcast surrounding real single mummy life. Every episode will deliver the best hard-hitting topics surrounding mummy life. So, here's your host, me, Khalifa. Hey guys and welcome to the Happy Single Moms podcast. I'm your host Khalifa. Today we are going to be discussing domestic violence and domestic violence awareness. Due to the global pandemic, domestic violence has gone up and statistics say that one in three women will experience domestic violence. Today my guest is Kelly from Utah and she has her own Instagram page called Why I Stayed Silent. Um, Kelly is a survivor of domestic abuse and also a single mum. The reason why I asked Kelly to come here because I feel like she can encourage other women with her story. Um, please tell us about your domestic violence story and how you came up with the concept why I stayed silent. So I feel like my story is super typical. It's not anything different. I think a lot of women have the same story as me. I was young, had low self-esteem, very little dating experience. I met a man, he said all the right things, he was handsome, he made me feel like he was the one, so we got married, and um, I'd known him for a while, we did a lot of long distance stuff when we were dating, um, but I thought I knew him super well, so it was a huge shock to me on our wedding day, when we were driving away from the wedding, that he just started screaming at me in the car, and it was so bizarre, and he was yelling things like, just mad that I made the whole day about me. He was mad we took too long with pictures. Um, he yelled, you're not a princess. You don't deserve to be treated like one. And I was sitting there just crying. And I was like, what is this? I mean, it came out of nowhere. So um, he apologized and he said, sorry, I was stressed. I don't know why I did that. I was just so overwhelmed with the wedding. He's like, I'm really sorry. It'll never happen again. Um, and I forgave him. And then um, what I didn't realize was that was just the pattern. That was just the start of the pattern of abuse that I would go through. He would say and do awful things, and then he would apologize, give a reason as to why that had happened, and it would never happen again. Um, and it just repeated itself over and over for 12 years. Um, so I spent all that time just being emotionally, verbally, physically, and financially abused. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's, and I feel like that happens to a lot of women, though. They meet a guy who's wonderful, and then it, just happens and then they just go through this cycle wow. so I don't feel like I'm very different so, from both during that like honeymoon period did you not see any red flags at all so when people ask me we never had a honeymoon period I mean really I never feel like we did I feel like it was straight from the wedding day screaming and then it just kept going like that and people always ask me if I saw red flags and I always tell them there were little pink ones there weren't red flags there was little pink ones um and it was nothing glaringly obvious when we were dating that this, you know, would even happen. We had a couple, I think we had two arguments before we got married and they were typical, like just, oh, he wanted me to stay home from a trip that he was, I was going to go on a vacation with my friends and he wanted me to stay home and go on a trip with him, you know? And just, I mean, that doesn't seem like it's a big deal. So I thought it wasn't. And in hindsight, I can see that it was probably 
a precursor to the controllingness of the relationship, the controlling aspect of him. But at the time, I just thought it was a typical argument that people have, you know, when they're just a couple, because I didn't have very much um, experience being in a relationship like that. I didn't date very much. So to me, that wasn't a red flag. And um, so I feel like people like me that don't have a lot of experience, they wouldn't know that that was a red flag. It was just a little pink one. So... And did he ever talk about his previous relationships, how, like, how that went? No, not really. I didn't, I think I just didn't want to hear about his previous okay. relationships, honestly. <laughs> because you know, I think I was like, I don't want to hear about those women. Leave me, leave me out of it. Let's just yeah. move forward. Because so. I've experienced abuse, but it has, it wasn't physical abuse. It was not mostly emotional abuse. Now, I didn't mm -hmm. know that it was emotional. Initially, I would say I saw red flags, but I thought at the time that it was, him being cute or him being possessive like oh don't go out or don't hang out with this person I just think oh my god he really really cares up until the time exactly. that I wanted to go to university um outside of London and he was like don't you can't go to university there you have to stay in London because I'm here and I actually changed my course for a man well yeah because you thought oh that's so sweet and I want to be with him so yeah. you did what every girl would do you don't it wasn't yeah. a red flag it was oh they love me so much exactly. they don't want to be alone and I don't want to leave them alone exactly but you don't realize that they're chipping away at you it's like a sculpture they're chipping mm -hmm. away at you for you to be that docile and obedient girlfriend you have mm -hmm. to be that kind of girlfriend or wife you have to be that kind of person that just is so submissive and it wasn't until I broke up with my my um, son's dad that I realized that oh I'm a size six I think it might be a size four in America now mm -hmm. I realized that all my dress sizes were two times um, bigger because yeah. I wasn't allowed to reveal skin and when people when other guys would give me compliments I used to be like I never used to believe that I was pretty because he used to say no one's gonna love you no one's gonna want to be with you oh, yeah. and for so long I I believed that rhetoric because I would heard it so many times in my mm -hmm. head and I oftentimes tell people that being slapped sometimes I, it, 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 and someone insulting you, it's kind of the same thing because mentally you can- Well, it lasts longer. You can get over a bruise. Like someone slaps you, it hurts for a minute, but you get over it. But I can tell you every mean thing he ever said to me. I can tell you every mean thing the bullies in middle school said to me. Words hurt so much worse, but because there's no physical marks, you don't, they, people don't think it's as bad. But even just recently, just with what you're saying, I- um, I've noticed lately that I feel, I've, I've always felt like I had low self-esteem, but in the last couple of years, I thought, oh, I'm building up my self-esteem. I'm doing so great. But then in the last like month or so, I realized, wait, I feel like, I felt like, oh, no one's going to love me because I'm not perfect. No one's going to love me because I don't have a flat stomach. No one's going to love me because I don't have perfect skin. And I realized those were all the things that he would say to me. So it's just, it slowly chips away at you because when he tells you you're beautiful in the beginning, you believe him. So when he starts telling you how awful you are, you wouldn't expect your spouse or your boyfriend or the person that had told you all these wonderful things. Yeah. You don't expect him to lie to you and tell you all these awful things. So you believe it. So definitely. But that's why I said to you earlier that in regards to the honeymoon period, because I think that the majority of the time with, with, with I would speak on, on myself anyway the reason why I stayed so long with that with my ex was because I had bought into the man that I thought he was during the honeymoon period and that mm -hmm. is a person that I was like no but he wasn't like this but he wasn't like this you know so I think yeah, a lot I guess of, our honeymoon period was before we even got married yeah <laughs> 
that was when he was wooing me and he was so wonderful. So I'm like, that's the person I thought he was, not the person that he became when we got married. So do you, so so you, do you think that as soon as you said, I do, then kind of like the wolf came out, the sheep, the wolf in sheep's clothing came out. He just oh. took off the cloak. Definitely, definitely. Wow. Then he had me trapped and I'd made a commitment and he knew that I wasn't just going to break my commitment. So he had me, he could slowly, you know, because I, I think once you get married, it's such a big commitment, such a big deal that I think we're scared of divorce mm-hmm. and we're scared to be like, oh, I don't want to get divorced. We just had this big wedding. We just spent this much money. We just did this and this. And it seems like those are kind of like, we have to work it out now. So you put up with a lot more because you're scared of the divorce, I think. Yeah, the commitment. Because I don't, I don't know whether it's the same in America, but over here in the UK, domestic violence has gone up during the global pandemic. Um Mm-hmm. I, I yeah I think because I personally think because people are stuck in their house together people are frustrated people have lost their jobs financial instability so why do you think it is that it's gone so it's gone up so as soon as I heard that the domestic violence had gone up from people staying at home and being with their you know abusers it made me think of um some vacations I took with my ex so most of our vacations were long road trips And we would interrupt our daily routine. We'd be locked in the car alone together for hours or days, or we'd be at a hotel or, you know, just we were together because that's what you want to do on a vacation, right? Um, So we were spending more time together than we normally would. And his bad side would come out more often than not. So this, I'd always think of that, but in Shannon Thomas's book, um, Healing from Hidden Abuse, she talks about why um, toxic people ruin vacations. And she said that um, toxic people are usually uncomfortable with periods of relationship closeness. They intentionally cause negative chaos to create emotional distance between themselves and others. Vacations require teamwork and mutual cooperation. Toxic people do not possess either of these relational skills and they're not willing to learn them. So compare that to the pandemic. Here we are stuck at home. Our normal activities have been disrupted. Everything shut down. And many couples and families are spending more uninterrupted time together in close quarters than they normally would. So based on what she says in her book, abusers don't like this forced closeness. So they're going to create chaos to keep things balanced for themselves. So they're here stuck at home and there's more opportunity for them to behave badly. So I'm not an expert, but that's why I think there's been more domestic violence over last year because they don't, they can't handle the closeness yeah no I think I think you might be right I remember I saw one of your Instagram posts where you named it sorry um and it's it's something that even me as a mother I say to my son now that don't just say sorry if you're not gonna if you're not gonna change the behavior you know don't Mm -hmm. leave something on the floor and then the next day I still like what we, we have an issue in my house now my son will go inside the bathroom and he'll just leave his towel on the floor like every day it the bucket it's just right there you know like just <laughs> pick it, just, <laughs> just pick it up just like pick it up you know but um so when I saw your post where, where you said um sorry it just made me think that do you know what even as a human being we don't we like to see a change. So why is it that when we are in relationships and our significant other says, sorry, that we just wipe it away? Like, all right, fine, fine, fine. Okay. But when it comes to everyone else, even ourselves, we don't even forgive ourselves as much as we forgive oh, yeah. other people. So tell me a bit about that post and what, what you wrote about it. You know, I was raised where things, we'd say you're sorry. And it was like, just move on, get over it. So it was like, oh, okay. I've got to forgive them and just get over it. And I think that's helped me in my life because I've been able to not hold grudges. But at the same time, 
I have everyone apologizes. I'm like, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. I'll, I'll forgive you. And I move on. And, you know, in situations where someone's abusing you and they say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, I just forgive them and move on. And then it happens again. And it's just, I think it's just a habit. I think we're taught when we're young, just, you know, ignore your bullies and they'll go away. Just ignore the problem and just forgive them. And, you know, I think instead of teaching, I've started like with, the, I'm sorry, I've started telling my kids if they hurt someone, go over and instead of saying, I'm sorry, say, are you okay? What can I do to help you? And that's kind of been, a way of from in my mind to just kind of like flip the switch instead of just being like oh okay they're sorry we're fine it's more of expecting people to rectify the situation and change and are you okay I feel like that's a more a better answer than I'm sorry or a better course of action than saying I'm sorry because then it requires action after that because otherwise we're just just letting things go and I think there's a difference between letting things go and forgiving and still not trusting people. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Because I, I would say that when, when, my, when my son's father cheated on me, um, initially, I, I, forgave, I, I forgave the first infidelity. And then the second one, I then said to him, because he was apologetic, he was crying and rolling on the floor. And I said, you know what? It's not about, it's not about me. It's not about me taking you back. It's about whether you want to take me back because the trust has been so broken that even mm -hmm. if we are back together and you go to the corner shop, you go to the shop where you tell me you're going out with your friends, I'm going to be calling you every five minutes because yeah. I'm no longer the same person and sometimes when we just omit our own feelings because we want to be with this other human being so badly we are actually hurting ourselves and I do think uh -huh. that we're not taught how to we're not taught how to forgive and just let go you know and I always say to people yeah. just because you forgive someone doesn't mean like forgiveness to me is like a house you know someone was in your bedroom that's the closest place you can be in someone's house you know you've hurt me in mm -hmm. my space that's my space that's my heart that's my bedroom I can remove you and put you in the garden you do not have you, you it's your choice who who gets access to your heart and I think that as women we just need to stand up and just be like do you know what I you this you've hurt me too many times for me to continue this cycle yes that's a good analogy I love that I'm gonna yeah. remember that because I feel like instead of teaching our children so much about the I'm sorry and just forgive your friends, maybe teach them more boundaries, like you said, like you've set your boundary, like I'm gonna kick you out of my room, you know, you're going into the garden. Yeah. So I think need to teach my children more about boundaries. Yeah, I think so that's that they don't end up in those situations. Yeah. Because if some yeah, it's this that's that's what I do anyway, because I feel like if you could violate someone like that you know in any way if you can violate someone like that we we're just taught I saw it on a TED talk there was a woman that said that we're we're not taught how to forgive it's just like a just do it ad you know oh someone's offended mm -hmm. just do it just do it but we're not actually taught the processes of how to actually you know forgive and mm -hmm. let go that when you see the person again the the offense doesn't come up because I have certain girlfriends that they're kind of the abusive ones now <laughs> which is just terrible because their they're, they're spouses have cheated on them so many times that I have a, 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 a girlfriend that said that she would wake up in the middle of the night and just look at her husband and just start hitting him for no reason because of just 
<laughs> yeah, she's still got it. She's holding on to that. Yeah. And that's all she sees when she looks at him. Now. Yeah, so she just wants to just, understand just choke him. So I wanted to ask you, how do you spot a narcissist? And um, do you believe um, an abuser has a type? So I've been much better lately at being able to recognize the behavior patterns of a narcissist. And um, online dating has helped me recognize these <laughs> patterns. Like, for example, one man, um, he, I've noticed they, um, they're very drawn, narcissists are very drawn to kind and empathetic and compassionate people. And so they love to play on those emotions. So, for example, one man I was talking to, he pulled the divorce card and said, oh, divorce is just so hard. And he wanted me to just empathize with him and just have this like, oh, pity, almost a pity party with him. And I said, you know, yeah, but divorce is actually the best thing that ever happened to me. And I wasn't going to play into that and give him the sympathy he needed. So he never talked to me. He ghosted me after that. And I was like, oh, okay. And then another man, he had said to me, he started telling me about his relationship with his ex-wife because I said, oh, why are you divorced? You know what happened? Or I think it even started out with like, well, how often do you see your kid? Because he had a two-year-old. And he said, I, he said, oh, I only see her like once a month or something like that. And I said, oh, does she live far away? Well, no, she lives in the same town as me. And I was like, that's really interesting. So we continued the conversation and it got to where he was like, oh, my ex-wife, I think she, she cheated on me. She was awful. She did this and this and this. And she didn't cheat on me physically, but emotionally she did. And everything he was saying was things that I'd heard about myself from my ex after our divorce. And so I was like, oh, no, no, no. This is him trying to get me to feel sorry for him. And so I was like, no. So when they start to tell me too many things about them, too much, too much personal stuff too soon and try to get me to feel sorry for them, I run. And I remember my ex did that to me as well. Our first, one of our first times hanging out, he gave me his sob story. And at the time I was like, you know, this is me feeling sorry for you does not make me like attracted to you. I don't, I want a manly man, not someone I'm feeling sorry for. So I kind of like was like, no, no, I don't want to hear that. And he realized that that wasn't going to work for me. So he switched his tactics, you know, but I've noticed a lot of them um, try and play on your emotions and say what you think they think you want to hear. And so I've learned to just like, if something feels off now, I run. I just am like, nope, I'm not even going to entertain that because it's not worth it. They're not the last man on earth. So I don't need to stick with that. I can go find someone else. Definitely. So that, but, um, but like I said, they have a type, they want people that are kind and empathetic and compassionate. And usually those kind of people um, like me, they just want to take care of others it's not even that I like feeling sorry for people but it's, I like taking care of others so if you look at people that are with those kind of men they're usually caretakers um they could also be called codependent I've been reading a lot about codependency lately because that's kind of part of it and I don't want to take care of someone like that I want to be a partner with someone so it's kind of been my mission lately just to make sure that I don't that I can recognize those traits in other people and in myself so that I don't get into those situations. No, you're completely correct. And I also think that a lot of women, we are natural project managers and we can see something and, mm -hmm. you know, we just want to fix it. Or we think that, you know, there's, there's, I, I, even with my, my own mom, sometimes she would go in my fridge and she'd be like, oh, I can make this. And I'm thinking, what, how did you, how did you see that in there? How could you make a meal out of this? You know, but I think that it's just innate in women that we just know how to just mm -hmm. make something out of nothing. And sometimes you see these men and you're like, oh my mm -hmm. God, you could be this, or, you know, you could, oh, love, yeah. you, you could love like this. And in actual fact, you're trying to fix them, but they end up fixing you, you know? 
No, and I think that's part of why I stayed with my ex so long is because I thought, oh, you could be so great. Oh, if you would just stop doing this and just do that and we can make it work, you know? So you, you just think that you can, and it's not that I set out to change a person. It's just that once we were in the situation, it was like, oh yeah, we could totally work this out. We, and we can, I mean, that's why women love DIY. That's why we do all these projects is because we think we can make it fix it and make it beautiful. So happens so, with men too, I guess. Why do so many women stay? Um, I think it's because they don't know it's abuse. Honestly, I didn't know it was abuse. I would never have said and admitted, oh, I'm a victim of domestic violence. No, I, I wasn't getting beat all the time. I didn't have bruises on my face. Um, and it took me a long time after I left to even admit that I was a victim, and even to realize how bad things actually were. Even when I filled out my divorce papers, there was a box that said, was there abuse in the home? And then it said, yes or no. And then it would say, was it from towards from the husband towards the wife or vice versa or towards the children? And I wasn't even sure if I was going to check that box. Box yes, I I, I mean it took weeks before I would actually. I thought no, I don't want to cause drama. I just want to put this behind me. And I didn't think I was abused. I thought it was just a bad relationship. So I finally did put yes on there. Thank heavens because that saved me in a couple of situations. <clears throat> just having it on there. But I, I would, I didn't think I was abused. I don't think most women realize that's abuse. So I think that's why they stay so long. Okay. And, and why is it so easy um, for men to damage women's self-worth and isolate them from their friends and family? Because that's something that I have seen that they remove you from your <laughs> friends and family. Because I know that with my ex, for example, my, the first day he met my mom and I was like, just make sure you come on your good, your good behavior. He came outside our house with his motorcycle revving it. And I was like, oh my God, you know? And this is a typical, I'm Nigerian. So imagine like a typical African mother and there's a gangster outside with a gold tooth revving his motorcycle. Like I'm, I'm, I'm here to claim my woman. Yeah. <laughs> and the first day she met him, my mom was like, mm -mm, I don't like him, mm -mm. but then the isolation started, you know, then before you, exactly. yeah, before you knew it, I was living with him, you know, and I was like, uh, what's, what's going on here? Everyone does, no one wants us to be together. Every it's us against the world. And I, I remember I said to him when we broke up that, listen, I, it's like, I have jumped in the boxing ring with you to fight against the world. Yeah. And then you've ended uh -huh. up punching, you've ended up punching me, you know? And that's, uh -huh. that, that's what a lot of people do. A lot of narcissists do, I feel, anyway. So, yeah, please tell me. It's kind of, they're, they're very good at it. They're practiced. They know what they're doing. They know exactly how to do it and what to say. And you're not expecting that. You're not expecting someone to lie and manipulate you. So you think it's out of love and you go along with them. And like with my ex, he loved to, he hated my friends. So anytime I was talk about my friends, like, Oh, I love this friend or I love that friend. He would just call them fat, ugly and tell me they're annoying. And he just refused to hang out with them. Well, and when you're in love with someone or you think you're in love with someone, you want to be with them all the time. And if they don't want to be with your friends, you're like, oh, okay, well, I just want to hang out with them. So pretty soon I saw my friends less and less and less. And I was just hanging out with him. And then um, my ex had it easy. He got lucky because he had a job that was um, far away from my family. So we lived far away from family. It was just us two. So I didn't have opportunity. And then when it was like, I'd want to go visit my family. Oh, well, it's too far. We don't have enough money for a plane ticket or we don't have the kind of money for you to go visit. So I saw my family maybe once a year. And meanwhile, he was just bad mouthing them 
the whole year that I wasn't with them. He was just talking crap on them and just trash talking. And so it was like, oh, okay. And so I just never had the opportunity to see my family and friends. So it was just so easy for him to isolate me. And luckily I'm a pretty social person. So I was able to wherever we moved, I would build up a little circle of really close-knit friends. He would work a ton. So I was able to hang out with my friends while he was at work. But anytime he was home, I couldn't see my friends. So, I mean, they just, they play on our emotions and know that we love them and want to spend time with them. So they just try and say, you want to hang out with me, not your friends. So they're able to isolate us that way. And then pretty soon you haven't seen your friends in years. And you're alone or you feel alone at least. Yeah. Do you think finances play a part in why a lot of women stay with their spouses? Yes. I have a friend right now who's just like, what am I going to do? How am I going to pay for my house? Who's going to watch my kids if I get a job? I can't work. And so she's, she doesn't know what to do because she just doesn't have the financial um, resources to support herself. I mean, and I told her, I'm like, I will help you do this. You can apply for this, 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 the benefits you can apply for. And she's like, oh, it's like she didn't even think about those things. So I think finances play a huge part. My finances weren't the reason that I stayed so long. I stayed too is because, um, well, like my little sister, she just hated my ex. And she asked my aunt one time, she said, why doesn't she just leave him? And my aunt said, because that's her whole life. She'd have to change every aspect of her life. She's like, that's a huge change. And I think that's what it was for me. I, my life is completely different. Not one thing is the same except my kids. We've changed our location. Like, I mean, I had to get in the car. I, our day-to-day routine, everything in my life is different. So it, that's a huge change. And just even thinking about like changing things and not the unknown is so scary that I think people stay because the, even though what's known in the relationship is so bad, you know what to expect and you don't know how bad things are going to get out there. So it's just easier sometimes to stay than maybe try and see what what's out there because what's out there could be worse you never know so. I did read somewhere that it, take, it takes a woman at least seven seven attempts to actually leave an abusive partner so do you know when you actually got pregnant did the abuse stop or did it was it heightened so there was two instances of physical abuse before I had children um I think that the emotional abuse got worse after kids and he threatened more after we had kids Cause he would threaten and say, you're lucky you're not being beat right now. And I just always thought I was just so weird. And I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm lucky not being beat. But like, eventually he did punch me. So, I mean, whilst you're pregnant. Um, no, my kids were a little older. They were three and five, two and five, three and five, and they were upstairs asleep. So I was really grateful. They didn't witness that, but, um, yeah. So it, he threatened abuse all the time. And then finally it happened I mean I guess he could only threaten so long and it didn't work so he had to do something more drastic to get me to behave I guess <laughs> at, any, so, at any given time did you actually call the authorities no that is one of my biggest regrets actually is because when he punched me in the face um I flew across the kitchen floor landed face down under the table and I was just so shocked and it hurt so bad because I don't think I've ever been punched in the face before and I just remember like I was terrified after him after that. And I ran to the living room and just sat there and cried. And then I was terrified and I walked on eggshells for weeks after that. But I remember that night thinking I should call the cops, but I didn't want to get him in trouble with work. I didn't want to um, cause any trouble for him. 
Mm. That's what I was thinking. Like, oh no, if I call the police, they're going to show up our house. People will see. I don't know what will happen. It'll be embarrassing. And I don't want to ruin anything for him at work. So I just sat and cried. And that's the caregiver in you there, you know, still mm-hmm. trying to protect someone that's that's um, yeah. that's hurting you. So what happened that night then? Did you actually have to sleep in the same bed with someone that's just punched you in the face? Um, I can't remember. I think so. I remember he brought a cat. He said, let me see your face. And I he, for some odd reason, I don't bruise on my face. I've had, I've gotten in a car accident before where I smashed my face on the hood of a truck in a motorcycle wreck. Not one bruise, you couldn't even tell. So I just don't bruise on my face. So you couldn't see it. I got a little swollen on my jaw and he came over and said, let me see your jaw. And he's looked at it and he said, well, you shouldn't have done whatever. And then he walked off and got me ice and he, I put the ice on my face. And I remember I called into work and I said, hey, can someone cover my shift in the morning? I'm not gonna be able to come in because I didn't want anyone to see. So I can't remember if we slept in the guest room or not, but I just remember after that, like I was terrified because I thought, oh no, like before he would yell and scream and say mean things, but that I could handle or thought, you know? And after that, I was like, I don't know what's gonna set him off. I don't know what's gonna be the one thing that sets him over the edge and he does that again. So I walked on eggshells for a very long time after that but I didn't call the police and that is that's my biggest regret because I feel like that would have been some kind of documentation and that's what actually started my Instagram account is that little regret I have so I started well I started my Instagram account as a way of um, just a support group for myself because I live kind of in a small town and my counselor had said you should find a support group where you're moving to and I was like, I wouldn't even know where to begin to look for a support group. So I kind of just started posting on Instagram and I was doing it anonymously because I didn't want anyone to know it was me. I didn't want to cause drama for my ex. I didn't want to cause drama for me because the divorce hadn't been finalized yet. I didn't want to have any kind of um, anything in writing for him to see. And I also didn't want people to know what I'd been through. I didn't want people that I knew to find that account and be like, oh my gosh, I was really embarrassed. And so I started as a support group. And then one day I was accused of after the divorce had been finalized for a while I kind of kept I kind of archived all my posts on my account and just kind of paused it because I thought oh I don't need the support anymore I'm okay now and then I was going through some court stuff and I was accused of making up all of the abuse and I just it was just me making up lies about him and so I had to start documenting any kind of abuse that I had you know and I was just like wow I didn't document anything I didn't call the police. I didn't tell anyone because I didn't want people to know what was going on in my house. And so I had, I I just thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And that's when I realized that my silence and me not calling the cops, me not documenting anything, the only person it protected was him. It didn't protect me. And in all reality, people would say to me, well, we knew something wasn't right there. So me thinking that I had hidden all of this from my friends and people and close people around us, they knew, they didn't know the extent and how how bad it was, but they knew. And so I just thought, you know what, forget this. I'm done protecting him. There is no reason that I need to be silent anymore. I'm done. So I started the Instagram account and just was like, Hey, this is me. This is what happened to me. And I shared it on my Facebook with my friends. And so many people, it, w- it was terrifying because I didn't want people to know what I'd been through. So, but I thought I have to do this because the only person it has protected, has, it was my abuser. So I went public with it. And that's kind of the whole thing. I would just want to share with people like why I stayed silent and why they shouldn't. So if there's any advice I have out there for anyone going through abuse and stuff is 
write things down. Even if you don't call the police, because I get, I know how scary it is to think of calling the police. So I get that. But even if you don't call the police, write things down, just journal, take notes in your cell phone. That's what I do now. I'm not a big journaler, but um, there were some journal entries from 2006 about some of the things that I had um, been through and I was like, whoa, I do have some documentation. So that was really helpful. So even if you don't feel like calling the police, just journal, write things down. Don't, so that at least someday you'll have that and you don't have to be quiet about it. Yeah. So how do you co-parent now then? Um, we don't. <laughs> so it's really interesting. So when I went to mediation, I offered him a certain number of days for, um, um, visitation and custody. And he said, no, I want two weeks a year. And I was all done. <laughs> so I don't think he realized how little that really was. And so I said, done two weeks a year. I'm good with that. So that's what he has. And then he calls him once a week. But, um, after I left him, my counselor, he just kind of looked at me and said, he said, I could not have coached you through that any better because what I did is I left a note on the table and I said, I'm leaving you. This hasn't worked for 12 years. It's not going to, if you need to contact me, contact the mediator. And I left the number there. And then I didn't, I deleted all my Instagram and my Facebooks. Um, I switched my phone number, left my phone on the table, got a new phone number. So he didn't have a way of contacting me at all. So I just went hundred percent, no contact. And if he needed to get a hold of me, he would have to go to the mediator. And then, um, so during mediation was the first time that I was on, we kind of did just a speaker phone call. He was in the office and I was on speakerphone and he started being nasty and yelling at me. So I started talking just directly to the mediator. And so he, he could hear me, but I would not talk directly to him. And then, um, after that, I said, I'd start emailing. So I would email back and forth if we had to talk about the divorce, anything. And then when we went to divorce court was the first time I saw him in person. We didn't say a word to him. We went to another divorce court and we had to go out in the hallway and discuss paperwork. And as soon as we got out in the hallway, he just started yelling at me and cussing me out. So I was just like, nope, I'm done. So I realized that anytime I talk to him, he'll just cuss me out. And I don't want to have anything for him to use against me. And I don't ever want it to be a he said, she said kind of situation. So I put everything in writing. If we have to communicate about the kids, I text him or email him. So we have it in writing. I never speak to him directly. On the days that he visits the kids or gets the kids for his visitation, um, I take someone with me. I don't go alone. So my dad or my brother-in-laws or my brother has always driven the car with me. And then I don't actually get out of the car. My dad or someone will, I'll have my kids in the car. And then my dad or someone will get out of the car and get their suitcases and take them over to him. So we don't technically co-parent and it works that way because I don't ever have to have contact with him. Because when you're dealing with someone toxic like that, usually no contact is the best way to go. And I know some people can't do that. It's impossible. But for me, I've been able to, and it works really well because the two times I've talked to him since we divorced, he yelled at me. So I'm not going to put myself through that again. Yeah. What's your hope for the domestic violence survivors? You know, I hope they would share their story because when I first left my ex, I thought I was the only one going through it. I thought I was alone. And so um, when I did get on Instagram, just to post my anonymous little posts, I started searching out the hashtags and that's when I realized, oh my gosh, there's so many people like me. I'm not alone. It's not just me. And it was really nice to have them share their stories and educate other people. So I would love it if the domestic, domestic violence survivors could just thrive, share their stories and get the help they need. Because yeah, I've been to counseling to get the help for the issues that I got from the abuse, but I've also done a ton of work on myself 
to um, fix the issues that got me in that situation in the first place, you know, the lack of boundaries and just those kind of things. So I just want them, I just hope they would, A, get out of those relationships and B, share their stories and get the help that they need as well. Awesome. That is absolutely awesome. And where can people find you on social media? So I just have my Instagram account and it's why I stayed silent and it's why period I period stayed period silent. So that's where I just post and I don't post a ton, but I post when I'm feeling like I need to share something and I'm not an expert, but I just, I share my story so that other people don't feel that they'll be able to share their story as well. Yeah, but I I love I love your Instagram page and I think that the title within itself it's so it hits you in your face because it, it's yeah a lot of women are staying silent but you're removing the nuzzle really and um, mm-hmm. you're being open about your experiences and it allows other women as well to be able to share their experiences with you. So all I can mm-hmm. if no one has ever thanked you for your platform, I thank you for your platform. Oh thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, thank, thank you. Thank you. I, you know I do have people comment and just say nasty things to me on there too. And I it's a prime example I say thank you to them. I'm like thank you. You're a very good example of why I had to stay silent. So even even the haters on there are helpful. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Honestly, the haters I call, I call haters fuel. I remember I put up a post on um, my Instagram page and I I said single, dear single mums, you're amazing. And a guy sent me the nastiest DM about being a single mom and the statistics between pri- the links between prison and single motherhood, kids dropping out of school and single motherhood. Like he just, I, I just said to him, thank you very much. But he took the time out to write me out this paragraph. Oh, yeah. like, what, like, who do you really have this type, this amount of time to be so toxic? Yeah. yeah. But I think that's the problem with the internet. When you're behind the screen. Oh, yeah. You know, it gives you muscles, I think. <laughs> you know. And you know what? To speak to what he said, that was one of the reasons I stayed as well. I was terrified that my kids were going to grow up with a single mom and from a divorced home. And I've read the statistics. I know the statistics. When I went to my counselor and said, I think I want to divorce my ex. He said, well, let me read you some statistics. And he told me the most awful statistics about children from divorced families and single moms. And I thought, oh my gosh, he's trying to talk me into staying. Are you kidding me? And that's when I knew I really wanted to leave because I was mad he was trying to talk me into staying. And then he could see I was getting angry. And he said, wait, wait, wait. He said, however, people from homes like yours, he said, the kids turn out have all of these issues, if not more. He said, your children will actually be better off with a single mom and with your family being good examples around them. So he said, leave, you need to leave. So I've always just thought, you know what? That's true. Like you don't realize it. You think the stigma of divorce and it's going to ruin your kids. But in all reality, they'll be so much better off away from that toxic person. So So as as a single mom and as a domestic violence survivor, do you feel like you are you are a better mother now? Oh, yeah, so much, because I asked my kids once because I was really worried about them, like I said, being from a divorced home. And after the divorce was finalized, I said, hey, guys, so um, mom and dad aren't going to be married anymore. So you'll live with me and you'll get to visit him. And how do you feel about that? And they said, we love it, mom. And I said, why? And they said, we don't get yelled at every day. We don't have to hear the fighting. We get to do what we want and not have someone tell us not to. And so they even recognized how bad it was. And they're so much better off now than they were before. And I'm a better mom and I take better care of myself. And I'm able to teach them better than I would have had I still been in that relationship. So that is awesome. Thank you so much for being a a survivor 
<laughs> and coming on the other the other side as well. Thank you so much for being on the Happy Single Moms podcast. All right, thank All you right. so much. You nice to see you. Nice to see you as well. Take care. Alongside COVID-19, domestic violence is a global pandemic. 3.3 million children witness domestic violence each year. If you know anyone that has suffered from domestic violence or is in immediate danger, or if you are in immediate danger, make sure you contact the authorities. You can also reach me on Khalifa and Josiah and also reach Kelly on why I stayed silent. Do not stay silent. Do something today. Protect yourself. Protect your child. I'm breaking, no, I'm not lose control. And I get